Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley has over 33 years in the trucking business, moving ag and construction equipment across the country. For more information, go to valleytransportation.com or give Parker a call at 800-657-4910. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 238. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping people move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Also, if you're looking for a great place to help your salespeople close big deals, keep track of their customer base, and just make more money in the sales world, check out Arrow at heyarrow.com. This week, my guest is Rich Pawson, and Rich is on here for his December download here of what's going on in the economy. And uh, you know, Rich is a guy that I've had on for uh, as long as anybody. I think probably three or four years now. I've had Rich on the podcast, and uh, it's never a never a dull moment with Rich when we come on here and start talking about what's going on. So, Rich, how you doing this morning, man? Good, and you? Not too bad, man. So, this is the last month of the year. Um, twenty twenty one has been an interesting year. You know, I think there's a lot of things to take a look at. I think the first thing that I want to kind of hit on is uh, Jerome Powell talked about, you know, come out last week and was talking about, uh, you know, we need to retire the word transitory and, you know, inflation is kind of a bigger deal than we really thought. So we need to speed up the tapering process. Going into uh, Q2 of uh, 22, we were looking at maybe looking to see some interest rate, interest rate hikes. And as you take a look at what's going on around you here, Rich, what's your thoughts on that and how do you think that's going to affect the overall marketplace with the amount of inflation that we see right now. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I've been kind of confused with that transitory thing, so I'm glad to see him just drop it. Uh, I've been thinking all along I need to talk of just what I actually see for inflation numbers and a range, and uh, uh, I I will say for the rest of this decade, we're going to see inflation fluctuate maybe just a little below 2%, up to about 4% year to year throughout this decade. I think it's probably going to average like 3 and a quarter percent uh, so not that five, six, seven percent stuff we've been seeing out of monthly numbers. And by the way, I think it's December 10th we're going to get a CPI inflation report. I don't think the stock market's going to pay any attention to that one, even if it is higher still, because commodities are rolling over. They're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Inflation will probably back off. So I'm staying with my plan that yeah, we were supposed to get a surge in inflation coming out of the recession. That's happened in past years, although sometimes it's as, uh, as much as five years after the recession. This one was on the early side, 
very fast, but we find history, especially in the early 1950s, did the same thing. It just exploded, settled back. And what I'm saying is inflation will be higher on average than what we saw last decade, maybe the prior decade. It's probably going to run a little higher than I originally thought, uh, say, during the 1950s, 1960s. I thought we'd have something similar. Willing to bump it up a little bit, but this is not the 1970s scenario. And the reason is, if you look at the history of this country, you can even go further back uh, when adding Europe, you find there's an inflation cycle that, yes, you'll get inflation in 20, 30, 40 years, and then you're going to get disinflation in 20, 30, 40 years. And the inflation side, the early part, which is generally the majority of the time, is actually what's called good inflation. Early inflation is good. And it's where people's paychecks are going up, but they're also making money on their homes, they're making money in the stock market, they're making money in their savings accounts. It can actually be a good time. It doesn't have to be great, but it can be good. When it goes to late inflation, you're running in an issue where you're just raising prices to just for the sake of raising prices. Oh, the guy down the street raised his, so I got to raise mine. And you lose productivity. You're not being creative. You're not being productive, and you're not running a good economy. Then things begin to tear, deteriorate, and pretty soon your population's complaining. Everything is just too high priced. That's where we were in 1980 uh, when Paul Volcker stepped in to kill inflation, when President Reagan was elected, and we all started thinking, hey, we all got to work harder, smarter, better. We got to produce more. We got to make things cheaper. And what we do? We lowered prices. We lowered disinflation. Didn't actually lower prices at the store. They just didn't go up as fast. Okay. Yeah. Um, for some people on the way, they actually lowered prices, though, and eventually, uh, you know, as of the past 10 years, people have been getting frustrated. Hey, my paycheck isn't going up fast enough now. It doesn't matter if prices aren't going up. I need more. We're starting to see the switch where I think even the Federal Reserve is willing to switch to more of a fiscal policy than a monetary policy, and that can open the door for more inflation. And my model correctly called a bottom last August, and interest rates said it's a super cycle bottom. Interest rates rally next couple of decades, maybe longer, except they will set back once a decade for a recession. And that should occur near the end of this decade. We'll probably slam dunk interest rates, okay? The same thing for inflation, however. I think inflation bottomed way back in 2008, 2009 crisis, but you can make an argument the bottom just ahead of uh, last year's low in interest rates. Doesn't matter. They're both going to work higher. But I think that late inflation phase is going to be next decade and maybe not even to the following decade. So I'm very comfortable saying, yes, we got a little higher inflation, but it's not going to get out of hand. We're all going to pay more at the store perhaps every year, but and it may look terrible at the end of the decade of just how much everything rose, but it's not going to be that 1970s where we're, it's going to turn into stagflation and a poor economy. I just not seeing the evidence. I see a lot of good research out there. But when I plug it against the business cycle, I realize a lot of those economists, analysts, millionaires, billionaires, they, they don't understand the business cycle. It, we're going to be all right on this inflation. Now, what has Powell done? What has the Fed done? They, they took out the transitory. They're meeting today. This should be their final day of a two-day meet this month. They're, they may well come out saying they're ready to even step up on taper. They're tapering now. They're cutting back. They should cut back all the way in, I think, May, June next year. Maybe it's March or something like that when they should be done tapering. Tapering just means they're not going to buy as many bonds from the banks and free up the banks and make the system safer. Okay, And the stock market, some markets might get a little upset with this, that they're worried something could go wrong, blow up. But generally, it's a good thing.
It means the Federal Reserve thinks our economy is safe. It's got a good solid footing. And if you look back history of decades, if we're cutting back on taper, it probably means the economy is going to grow for at least five years. I say it's going for seven, maybe nine. Um, so uh, it's actually a good thing, but it could upset some in the financial markets a little bit here and there. Um, will they raise interest rates sooner? I don't think so. I think they're going to stick with June. I think it's June. That, that might be the earliest. But we'll see. We'll see what happens this afternoon. They should give us some clues. Uh, we may see that some of the members of the board think we'll raise interest rates a little more often over the next few years than what they said in the prior meeting. There could be some interesting things coming out of there. I don't think it's going to upset the markets today uh, much at all, frankly, but uh, we do want to watch out for that. So the Fed's trying to shift gears. It's saying the economy's safe. It can move on without us. We're going to back out. And when they mean back out, they also mean they have to raise interest rates, not only to help make sure inflation doesn't get too high, get out of hand, that the economy overheats, moves too fast, but they also need to raise their interest rates to provide a cushion when the next recession comes. So, and to me, that's more important. I'm less worried about inflation and know my stance on inflation. I think it's overdone here, but um, I can see they need to raise those interest rates to have that cushion. Because what they'll do is when we get to the next recession, they're just going to dramatically drop those rates, pump the money, and it puts the brakes on. So a recession doesn't turn into a great recession like 2008, 2009, and better still, it doesn't turn into the first depression since the right. 1930s. Right. So, yeah. and they're pretty, they're pretty good at it. It's, it's a very tricky, tough game for them, and people beat up on them all the time for not doing things at the right time. But it's, it's a, it's a tricky situation. But I think that's what's going to work here. I'm going with two to four percent inflation, average three and a quarter, and what? Uh, you know, you go look back to ten years. We were having a difficult time even getting to the 2% uh, that the Fed wanted. So the Feds woke up. You know what? It's going to be easier to keep our 2%. Maybe we do have to worry about uh, how high can inflation go. And uh, I think they're going to do things now to temper that. But I also think internally, even though I think wages can go higher here, um, I just saw a report as of September, I think the number of people quitting their jobs is 4.3 million. Yeah. Uh, you can see it has surged ever since the uh, pandemic. And what's going on is people have been saying, you know, if I have to put up with this pandemic stuff, I don't want to die too soon. I might as well enjoy life. I want to retire early now. And the stock market has been so good for them that if they were invested in the stock market, it gets easier. I look at my own accounts and I say, gee whiz, I can make a, a very good living just off the stock market now. I don't need to work. And uh, But I, you are seeing some of those people come back to work already. And I think the reason is they're saying, yeah, but what if the stock market isn't that good for a long time? And, uh, and they might feel a little easier over this virus stuff, you know. Um, but most of them, I think, are going to, they're going to, they're not going to come back. And it's a good thing for the younger people. It tightens up the, the labor market. It gives you a chance to get higher pay. But <laughs> that can translate into supply chain issues, right. which I believe, I believe we'll have that all fixed by next year. A little later than I originally thought, but it's, I'm okay with it. But it does raise, raise costs because, hey, if a business has to raise their wages, mm -hmm. they're going to pass it on. Yep. And that's why that's why that inflation is going to it's it's here to stay, okay, yep. compared to the last decade. But it's just nowhere's near at that level that's going to blow up on us. And I think commodities are going to help 
uh, hold back that inflation. I'm bearish. Come on, I just made 10 bucks a barrel out of oil, biggest gain I've had in quite a while in oil. I don't actually trade it that often, but I analyze it often. I talk about it almost every day in my uh, podcast, but um, took a trade on it, 10 bucks. And the only reason I took it was that I didn't have a buy signal. I told my subscribers, this is not a buy signal. Uh, it just made 10 bucks in a couple of weeks, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I'd, I'd like my money. And, uh, and so, right. yeah. you know, quick profit, bank it. And it is overdone, fundamentally. Don't be surprised. Oil pulls back up some, but ultimately, uh, I think oil will be, I wouldn't be surprised oil goes down to 55 bucks next year. Uh, analysts over at Petrobras said that the other night at Bloomberg, but Goldman Sachs is on the opposite side. They think oil will actually be a fairly firm price, actually. So real quick uh, on that point, Rich. I mean, so uh, was that two weeks ago, a week ago, OPEC got together. Russia was involved in that meeting. Um, I think they call that OPEC plus or whatever you want to call that. And they were talking about how they were going to increase overall um, domestic, or, or I'm sorry, overall oil to, uh, production to 40 million barrels. They really don't want to see the uh, the fracking come back online to be as profitable in the U.S. I mean that that's a big chunk uh, of their of their business, right? If you start looking at that, so they're going to do whatever they can to keep that oil price suppressed down to that 55 range, 60 range, as much as they possibly can. Yep, uh, years ago. Uh, that magical level was $85 and higher where they thought you could hurt the economy, hurt our demand, but more importantly, you're going to buy more alternative energy. Right. So I don't think they want it over 85. I wouldn't be surprised by 2023. Uh, my model's saying, my model's saying it's possible to put in a major long-term top if so oil is not going to go higher than this year's high for several years. But next decade, it probably will be higher, probably over a hundred is my guess. But uh, I can see we have one last shot up in oil prices by 2023, maybe 2024. And so I wouldn't be see over 85, but I'll bet you it hits 100, OPEC panics and run and opens the, opens the spigot. Yeah. So you, you hit on one thing, too, and I'm, I'm right there with you. I think the end of 2022 going into 23, logistically, things are going to be back to a level of normal. I don't know they're going to be back to 100% what we saw, you know, 2018, 2019, but they're going to be significantly better than they are now. I mean, it's going to be nine-day difference. Take a look at what's going on there. As more products start to kind of hit the ground and more products are getting through the supply chain and getting out to the retail shelves and those those things, is that why you believe that this, uh, this inflationary period that we in is kind of short-lived because there's going to be that much more products getting out there to where the money supply versus the products to buy are, are kind of more in equilibrium? That's part of it. Yeah. yeah. We're going to boost the supplies just to higher prices. I mean, even in the grain markets, they're high enough to boost uh, production around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that supply chain, we're fixing it. Uh, I, I saw a chart recently of the uh, Los Angeles port, and it's really spiked of what they're unloading. Yeah. Interesting how that came about, though. The government pretty much threatened them with more taxes, and I, I hadn't even heard that till after it was already uh, done. And the weird thing is suddenly those boats are getting unloaded faster. Yeah. <laughs> so that was not a tactic I was thinking of, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, good for them because uh, there's no question about it. There's some businesses have been holding back. I, I realize it wasn't entirely their fault. There, there's reasons of business holding back. But at the same time, some of these businesses are making more money out of actually moving less stuff. Yeah. And the profits, I just saw a chart 
um, I don't know when it was updated. It was last couple of months it was updated. It showed the highest profits for a lot of business since 1950. It just soared. So there's people making money out of this inflation stuff. Yeah. And that's not going to last. Pretty soon the buyer is saying, wait a minute here. I can't keep paying you that. I need a break. And meanwhile, the supplies start building. I mean, I've been working in commodities for 30 some years. I've worked with corporations, commercials, as well as on the farmer's side and the logger side. And you could just see it. It's, it's deja vu again. It, we're going to build those supplies. We're going to get the logistics going, like you said. And it's going to ease prices back. Even if they don't ease prices back, mm-hmm. they're going to rise slower than they did this year. And that inflation rate is really telling you the speed of how high it's going. Right. So I'm not forecasting actually lower. I'm forecasting lower prices next year for commodities, okay? But... I'm not forecasting inflation to actually be minus that prices are dropping. Yeah. I'm still saying we've got inflation, we're stuck with it for a while, but it's, it, but the pace is going to slow. It's not going to be as high. Yeah. Uh, I w- I'm willing to bet it'll be like 3.5% next year. It could drop that fast, that hard from what, current 6%? Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. It might only drop to 4 so. Yeah. Don't, don't. Uh, well, we won't we won't beat you too bad if you get <laughs> <guess> the 4 <laughs> But they had they had a I had my last podcast I'm releasing this week here um, on the Moving Iron podcast that I do with Aaron Fennell. Um, I talked about that. You know, I didn't see an, a used equipment, farm equipment issue until, you know, closer to the end of the decade, like 28, 29. And the reason for that was, you know, you've got one more year of kind of where we're at now where as soon as something comes in, you know, everything behind it sold type, you know, a new piece comes in, the trade-ins are all sold. One more year of that similar situation to 23 and into 24 it's kind of you know cycling off and then by the time you get to like 25 26 you start seeing some very modest supplies starting to kind of build up a little bit and then by the time you get to 28 29 30 those kind of things you start to see this bigger issue of okay wow we're we have a problem here we've got oversupply on the used equipment side you know commodity prices have been allowing for you know the purchase of new and those kind of things and and you know the number of farmers that because i'm of the opinion that the older farmers that are right now the guys that are you know 60 to 70 year old guys that have just didn't really have anything coming back uh, as far as family coming back to the farm and those kind of things they're they've lost a lot of equity over the last seven years and i think they have a chance to gain it all back in the next three to five years and i think when they do that they're going to punch your ticket and and retire and and uh you know, have the farm sell or, you know, lease out their ground right. or whatever it is. And that's going to uh, dramatically shrink the number of farmers we see in the next five years, uh, probably more rapid than what I think some of these studies are showing. So uh, that's where I'm, that's kind of what I think you're doing. Do you see something similar to that in other industries where there could be more of a, uh, an oversupply going into the end of the decade just because of this kind of ramp up that we've seen and then, you know, people don't pull back the levers fast enough to get to get that back yeah i think i think around 2025 mm-hmm. uh maybe a little earlier maybe 2026 i think you're probably going to see what i call a secondary recession for real mm-hmm. estate for commodities possibly even a little bit in manufacturing and it's going to come from oversupply mm-hmm. uh it's going to come from uh the consumer kind of turning complacent doesn't see a need to rush out buy a lot so a little slippage on the demand push the volume of demand will remain strong, though, I think, because um, I really, 
I say that, and I don't want to scare people of a secondary recession. It's meaningless for the overall economy normally. It slips on the radar screen. Most economists don't even see it. The government doesn't even see it. The last time it occurred is 2015, 2016. You can see evidence commodities had a little issue around the world, actually. Manufacturing, okay? Uh, those were the two big ones. But the overall economy, though, just kept on chugging. And I think the economy is going higher, right, growing right into 2028 or so. But I do think, yeah, we're going to see some industries have a little issue, a little problem there right around 2025. And then it may improve a little by 2027, 2028. And they might be thinking, oh, boy, you know, demand's getting, uh, supply's going down, demand's going up. But they don't realize now it's time for the whole economy to come down. Right. <laughs> and uh, then everybody takes the hit, you know. But I do see something like that coming. So I'm, I'm quite convinced commodity prices will be lowered to quite a bit lower than this by 2025. Normally, I'd say just go ahead and draw a line down into 2025. The problem is for at least uh, agriculture commodities, specifically crops, I do think we could get a crop problem in 2023. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to see a little tick up in inflation and a few other things going on there. It's uh, just going to be a little period of some kind of rebound in that, in that regards mm -hmm. before going back down into mid-decade. Um, as far as real estate, though, I think starting next year, uh, housing prices are up 19% for the nation and even for some of the major cities. That's actually backed off. It was 20% as of a month or two ago. I think next year you're going to see that drop maybe to just 10% price increase and then five and then zero. And by mid-decade, we might even see a minus five where some houses are losing value a little bit, then tick up a little. And then about the end of the decade, I think, I think housing will be off 10, 15, 20%. I think farm lane prices will come down, perhaps not that much. Uh, by the way, I did an interesting study in farmland prices. I charted out the Corn Belt, uh, according to USDA. Uh, I charted out, uh, what was it? There was another region. But I charted out the Northeast states from Pennsylvania, New Jersey, all the way to New England, New York, and then separated just New York. And New York is running, I think, 20% cheaper than it should. I think it's 20% undervalued compared to Northeast. Now, to compare it to Corn Belt, it looks like it's 50% <laughs> undervalued. Well, there's a little bit of difference there because you got the mega grain production uh, in, in the Corn Belt, right? And, and, and the Midwest and bigger demand for the land and a more productive land. Okay. But just interesting, I, I feel like uh, New York has kind of been... Uh, forgotten relative to the rest of the Northeast. I, I think there's some value there. And uh, I'm working in real estate as well. And I, I think there's going to be some more investment and in buying of uh, farmland in New York here. Not for dairy, though. Dairy industry's got some problems there. But um, anyways, that's kind of how I'm looking at some of this. Yeah, I think mid-decade, you're going to see the commodities have really cooled off quite a bit. And uh, things are stabilized, more complacent. Yeah. But but again, I don't think there's any serious problems for any industry till we get near the end of this uh, this decade when we may see the stock market drop twenty to fifty percent. But uh, in the meantime, uh, stock market is just going to go higher this decade. I I just I'm trying to figure. I look at listen to all these people scaring us every day. Nineteen twenty nine crash, and they just don't have an understanding of the business cycle. And uh, I just cannot find the fundamentals in economics to to do what they say. It's it's at least gonna if it's gonna be terrible, terrible times. It's gonna be near the end of this decade, and I don't think it will be a terrible time. But uh, I'll leave the door open for it. Um, but near the end of this decade. So as far as twenty twenty two, my forecast for the stock market is the S and P five hundred is right around forty seven hundred. 
I think it could go as high as 5200 by the end of next year. I think uh, UBS Bank come out and said they think it'll go over 5000 first half of next year, but then could have a nice setback before rebounding. I kind of like that idea. Uh, I think we could see a little over 5000 early next year. Um, hopefully see 4800 I got a big bet on the stock market here. <laughs> like to see that in uh, January. And the model is correct. It said late November, early December, we're going to get some bad news. Market's going down. We got it. And... Uh, I was very, very fortunate. The model started look, probing the buy side last week, and then uh, Monday morning, it said, this, this thing's primed. It's ready to go. And uh, I, I wasn't fully invested, and I, I put everything on, told my subscribers, go for it. Let's see what we can get. If we got to get out, we'll get out. And uh, boy, it just exploded yesterday. And uh, I realized it can set back. It was probably too fast, but I... Uh, I think we've got a Santa Claus rally on our way here. I think the year's going to finish pretty good for the stock market. I think uh, the economy, by the way, um, big fan of PMIs that come out every month. They run a very high correlation of GDP. So if you don't know where GDP is at, if you can follow those PMIs, you're going to get a clue what's going on uh, for GDP in the U.S. economy. doesn't matter if you're only looking at manufacturing PMIs. Um, Basically, the services, PMI, do pretty much the same thing as manufacturing. Even though our manufacturing is much smaller these days, you could still just use manufacturing. You'll get a clue where the entire economy is going. And the PMIs were great. In November, the economy actually sped up uh, relative to the PMIs. Unemployment is coming down nicely. It can uh, slow its pace. It doesn't have to bottom to near the end of the decade is how it normally works, but it came down so fast this time around that I don't know what to make of it other than it'll probably at least hit a floor and kind of move sideways. But uh, we got good job growth. We got wages increasing. And, uh, and then you've got a good GDP. Now, like inflation, I said that's going to back off. GDP is, what, 6% or something like that. We'll see that come down. But I'll bet for the, at least over the next four years, I'll bet the average is at least 4%. And whereas the prior four years, it was only two and a half. So big improvement. So I don't see anything getting in the way of uh, growing economy and stock market. And I, but at the same time, I see things coming into play here to back off that inflation, back off commodity prices. And it's basically just bringing back that supply. And part of that is fixing the supply chain. But part of it is just the regular economics that you've had prices high enough to uh, ramp up production and uh, how much we ramp it up. I'm not saying we're going to see record uh, production coming out of these companies because uh, if they can't employ every one that they would like, uh, it could still temper them. But, but I see that improvement. I see that production coming back. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So talk about, give, give this the, the 50,000 foot view of, of the business cycle and what that looks like. Yeah, so let me talk about what I think is the most important cycle. I have I've discovered three long-term cycles, four super cycles, and normally I'd say, well, the bigger the cycle, the more important. Well, I've learned, though, is the most important long-term spans about a decade. It's a little less, a little more. Discovered it on my own, but years later learned that someone called Juggler uh, discovered it as an economic and business cycle, and it's been used by economists, government models, even the Federal Reserve, I believe. At least I've written articles on it and found out the Federal Reserve read my articles off my website one time. Um, <laughs> so at any rate, uh, the business cycle, 
uh, it relates to several years of economic growth, and then you get just a few years of recession. And I call that a primary recession. You can get more than one recession during a decade, but usually they're not as important. Some of them you don't even, the secondary recession, a lot of people don't even realize it occurred. It's very specific. I usually say if a business did very well during the primary recession, like last year, uh, then they probably take a clip, uh, get clipped a little on that secondary recession, which normally occurs about mid-decade. But um, in general, that business cycle gives us a guideline of economic growth and even though a lot of people today believe the stock market has nothing to do with the economy and fundamentals, it's just off in its own world. That's not true. I've studied this back a couple hundred years. Uh, the cycle works pretty much the same today, even with all the Federal Reserve money printing and interfering there uh, or saving us from ourselves, depending on how you want to look at it. And it's pretty much the same as it was 100 years ago. Um, and so what I've learned is the stock market actually correlates with that business cycle better than ever even though i agree that the stock market it, it, it does have a partial disconnect and and more than ever at least for this type of business cycle it's actually in line with it better than ever and i think it's just because of the data news people are following better some of them don't even realize it's there a lot of them don't realize it's there but they're actually following it and following it well making it actually work better so the bottom line is that cycle bottomed last year with a recession. The model said, uh, well, even back in the financial crisis in March 2009, I said, I'm bullish the stock market and the economy until about 2018 to 2020. And during that time frame, I pulled out of stocks I held for 10 years and I bet on the recession and we got it. We got a virus linked to it, <laughs> a little more serious recession, <laughs> yeah. I thought. Couldn't forecast that. But it's fascinating. The virus showed up at the time it was supposed to, or anything could, uh, that could cause the downside showed up when it was supposed to. So brand new bottom. We're really only about 4% to 16% along the way of the progress of building this economy. We've got a long ways to go. And that's why I look at some of these people that come on the, the shows every day and saying, oh, this is going to crash any day now. And it, it, it really upsets me in the sense that this is why people aren't going to retire because they don't stay fully invested. They get scared. They get out. They jump in and out. And even the uh, consumer sentiment right now is lower than what it was back in the pandemic crash last year. They're more pessimistic than then. And you know what? The same thing happened in 2009, right around 2011, I think it was 2012. People were more pessimistic than they were in the 2009 crash. And they were wrong. The stock market just kept right on going higher and they missed out of billions, if not trillions of dollars of profits. It was just sad. And they're doing the same thing. But here's, here's an interesting thing this time around. If you look at what they're spending in the store, it's record large. It has surged over the last four or five months. They're spending money like crazy. And yet, when, uh, when they are polled and asked what they think of the future, they're pessimistic. And this is the complication of analyzing markets and the economy. You got to analyze what people think. Then you got to analyze what they're actually doing. And sometimes you even have to analyze what they're saying. Right. Right. <laughs> it's, yeah. And it's, so that's what we're up against. And I see this every day on CNBC with the hedge funds. They come out and they'll say, oh, we got a disaster on our hands and the Fed has screwed everything up. And then months later, you see their reports that they are required to report by regulation. And you find out 
They were bullish. They were betting on the upside this time. And yet here they are on CNBC telling us it's all going to crash. You right. got to learn. You got to learn to analyze those two things. And I do my best with that. I'm very, very pleased with the model, trying to keep up with that. And that's the scenario where we're in. We're always going to find a little bit of evidence something's wrong. But when you add it up, we're okay. And uh, I'll keep going till <laughs> till the model tells me not to. Yeah. Make as make as much as I can. I, I really think this decade we got another 45 to 80 percent up in the stock market. Believe it or not. And hopefully, with my strategy, we're going to double that. But we'll see. Knock on wood. Gotcha. Yeah, it's. Uh, I tell you what, that that's. It was. You're right. I mean, I've I've had more podcasts I listen to that are economically driven that are more pessimistic about not not only what's going on right now, but as simple as you know, we're we're all gonna we're gonna be eating and out of bread lines here in you know next year type of thing. So it's a it's a very strange dynamic that you hear that that's. Uh, yeah. You're you're one of the few people out there that's saying it's, it's going to be okay. You know, it's, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That kind of reminds me in 2010 after the financial crisis and the commodities. I remember saying, uh, I can't remember what it was. I was I was bullish. And I started getting phone calls from farmers, and they were saying, "You know something? You're the only bullish guy in the entire United States." <laughs> and and uh, the very next day, thankfully, USDA yeah. gave him a bullish report. It was limit up. You know. Yeah. Uh, now, but I have my moments where I'm on the wrong side too. But I, uh, yeah. I've, I've done well. I look back the last ten years. This, this has worked well for me, and uh, we'll just keep plugging away at it. Yep. So, all right. So, as you take a look at 22, um, what's the one big thing that you're going to be paying attention to the most into 22 uh, that you think is going to be the biggest driver of the economy? Biggest driver of the economy, ah, because unemployment doesn't bother me if it doesn't go down much lower. It's already come down so much. Um, probably the biggest driver is we are going to fix the supply chain. Mm -hmm. We are going to learn inflation is okay. And I think the bond market is not going to rush interest rates higher in terms of much higher. We might see it move up towards 1.8 to 2% or what, 1.4 now? I can't mm -hmm. remember for sure. On the 10-year note, um, I think the bond, originally I thought the bond markets would just start marching ahead of the Fed. They just say, yes, the Fed's going to raise and they would just start marching. And if I was the Fed, I'd want them to do that because they're doing the work for me. But I think that I think the I think the bond market's going to wait to see the Fed actually raise its rate, and yeah. then it then then I'll try to stay ahead of uh, the Fed. So I don't think we're going to see a dramatic move higher in rates, and that's going to help the economy uh, in the sense that yes, inflation will stay, but we're not going to raise interest rates enough to overshoot. I think that's a positive thing. I think we're going to fix the debt ceiling next year. Some of these government bills. Uh, they're going to be taking effect. Money's going to be spent. They're going to mm -hmm. start doing business. Um, so I, I just, yeah, I just think there's enough money out there that unless the COVID really messes with us here, I think people are going to feel more relieved. Let's, let's say that it's going to be consumers and businesses of a, a more optimistic attitude. I think that's going to be the number one driver. Gotcha. Uh, we can go in great details, all the different mechanics of all that, but I, I, I'll, I'll go with the idea. People are going to feel a bit better mm -hmm. and uh, and calm down, and they're going to keep spending the money. Yeah. Uh, so the yep. Yeah, and I think 
with this new variant that's out of code right now, it sounds like it's significantly less invasive, um, near, nearly as as uh, as uh, strong as the the original COVID um, nineteen and Delta variant and those kind of things. So, that's some. I mean, for as positive as things can be, I guess that's a, that's a positive outlook as well. So, there's yeah. some there's some things out there, but it's also a new variant and it gives some of the powers to be to uh, another ability to reach out outreach yeah. their their uh their authority yeah. a little bit yeah they're doing that over in germany they're mm-hmm. they're locked down so at least i guess they're going after the unvaccinated but there's yeah uh this country's i think biden has already sent a signal they're not going to mess with lockdown and uh, i fully agree i was fine with it when the first hit i just thought hey there's yeah. too many unknowns here right uh how, who knows how serious this could get but today i think this country has said hey we've been through that we don't need to do that again right so. yeah absolutely so well, Rich, I think this is a, a good a good stopping point here. So if folks want to reach out to you, get more information about what it is you're doing, talk about your podcast a little bit, what you got going on there and where they could find that. Yep. So I put out a podcast, some audio, some video, mostly video because people really like to see charts of what I'm doing. I can overlay all the model signals. They can see how accurate it's going, raises their confidence of what signal would they like to take in buying and selling commodities. I focus more on the stock market and the grains, but I have a variety of other commodities like oil and the gold and this and that. Um, and then I obviously talk about the economy. And some bet on climate, like I still think we're probably going to get a crop problem here in a couple of years, and maybe it shows up sooner. Maybe it's going to be next year with all this La Nina, but I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think so. I think the La Nina is going to back off. But um, at any rate, I put those uh, that kind of publication. I don't write a newsletter. Um, maybe someday I'll return to that. But this is far more efficient, easier, simpler to do, and and better in the sense people can listen to me and actually, uh, I literally draw on the charts and they can say, "Wow, I see how that works. I want to take advantage of that." So they can find that at if they want to see just a list of the videos, audios, and they can sign up there as well. Criticalpoint.podbean.com. And then I have a site that's really more about me. It's more about explanation stuff, free stuff. It does have a link over to the podcast site. But that site is criticalpointpod.com. And then if they want to just uh, you know chat with me, uh, give me a direct message over there at Twitter at Rich underscore Pawson. And my email is rich at ag-financial.com. I manage investments in the stock markets. Uh, and then I put out this my buys and sell signals for people that just like to do their do their own thing in the markets here. And, and I have some people that don't even dabble in the markets. They just like watching what's going on in the world. And uh, I have a long-term investor who says, nah, I never sell anything. I just keep buying. But he says, I like it that you can tell me why my account's going down the next 30 days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that, <laughs> that's funny. All right, Rich. Hey, well, good stuff as usual. Uh, appreciate you being on the podcast, and it's been a it's been a great a great another year working with you, man. So uh, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you, everybody. Have a good happy new year, here, and we'll talk to you in January. I hope so. Yeah, sounds good, man. Well, I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, go to movingironloc.com for everything Moving Iron related. So, with that, I am Casey Seymour with Rich Pawson. Let's go, some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership. There's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. 
Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley has over 33 years in the trucking business, moving ag and construction equipment across the country. For more information, go to valleytransportation.com or give Parker a call at 800-657-4910. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here